Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast, the Christmas Eve edition. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm really glad to share this time with you this holiday. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. You can check us out on Facebook and I encourage you to subscribe to always get the next podcast. So this is our holiday message, and hopefully you are listening in on Christmas Eve. If not, that's okay, but I pray that this holiday season is one full of family, full of friends, full of memories, but most of all, full of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Merry Christmas. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. When Pope Julius I authorized December 25th to be celebrated as the birthday of Jesus in the year 353, who would have ever thought it would become what it is today? When Professor Charles Follen lit candles on the first Christmas tree in America in 1832, who would have ever thought that the decorations would become as elaborate as they are today? It is a long, it's been a long time since 1832, longer still from 353, longer still from that dark night brightened by a special star in which Jesus the King was born. Yet as we approach December 25th again, it gives us another opportunity to pause, and in the midst of all the excitement and the elaborate decorations and expensive commercialization which surround Christmas today, we get to pause and consider again the event of Christmas and the person whose birth we celebrate. Daryl Bach writes these words, In the ancient world, if anyone had asked if there was a more important person than Caesar, the emperor and the ruler of the vast Roman Empire, the answer surely would have been no. Yet the emperor was not the most important person. Everybody thought he was. He had the most military power, political power, financial power. The emperor's decisions could send armies to war, elevate a village from obscurity to fame, or destroy an entire community. For all his power, he was not the most powerful man in the world. Christmas changed that. In Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, they struggled to find a place safe enough to welcome a baby into the world. And tonight we celebrate the coming of Jesus. His birth was small and humble, but his was the arrival of the king of all creation. Now, the story of Christmas is one that most of us are fairly familiar with. There are angels and shepherds and a manger. Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, and we're told that Jesus' birthplace was in part determined by the need for a census. We know it's God's hand, but there's Caesar again showing his power, wanting to count up the population of his empire. But God, through Jesus, was about to flip the whole world upside down. Whenever we encounter these stories of Jesus, we're confronted with the question, or at least we should be, what are we to do with Jesus? Are we going to believe his power and authority? Are we going to submit to that power and authority? Will we accept him? And tonight's story is much the same. We need to ask ourselves, and I'm going to frame this, this might be a strange question that you don't often ask yourself, but are we like the inn? 
That is to say, do we or do we not have room for Jesus in our lives? The Christmas story tells us that Jesus came to earth to make room for you and for me in God's kingdom. And the Christmas story invites you and me to make room for Jesus in our lives. Let's go ahead and read that text from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor over Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed that the shepherds of what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. First, it's important to know that Jesus has made room for you. I love the Christmas stories for a lot of reasons. The biggest, of course, is the arrival of the Savior, Jesus. A dark night becoming the beginning of the hope of the world. Christmas is the beginning of the victory on the cross. Christmas means that sin doesn't get to have the final word anymore, that the brokenness of this world doesn't have to rule. In the Gospel of Luke, we encountered an unexpected reason to love Christmas. And I say unexpected but this, because the story is so familiar that we might skip over this important detail, and that is that shepherds get to be some of the first people who see Jesus. And there's a message in that. We're so familiar with nativity scenes that the significance of this detail of shepherds is easily overlooked. See, the angels appeared that first Christmas to herald the arrival of the Son of God. And it's important to remember that angels could have appeared to anyone to announce the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. They could have appeared to the priests, you know, the religious leaders, the, the people who watched over the faith of the people. And that would make sense. If you want to have influence over, God's, over, over people's faith, God's people, why not go to their spiritual advisors? The angels could have appeared in the temple for all, of, all to see because the temple was, of course, God's house. 
There would have been a big crowd there. Jesus would have had an instant following. No need to gather fishermen. There'd be powerful and wealthy people in the temple that could serve this new king and work for God's kingdom. But that's not what happened. Instead of appearing in a public place, the angels show up on the edge of the Judean wilderness. Instead of announcing the arrival of Jesus to the religious leaders and the powerful, the angels appear in the night sky to shepherds. Because Jesus is not interested in gathering power or publicity. Popularity is not his concern. All that earthly stuff that we worry about, he's not concerned with. You are his concern. And the angels appearing to the shepherds reveal this. The angels are essentially telling the shepherds, you are important and Jesus is for you. Why is that? Because the shepherd is near the bottom when it comes to being in the in crowd. Leon Morris writes about shepherds this way. He says, as a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. The nature of their calling kept them from observing ceremonial law, which meant so much to religious people. They were considered unreliable, and they were not allowed to give testimony in law courts. Can you think of that for a moment? The angels appear to shepherds to go and see Jesus, and the shepherds go tell everybody, but the shepherds are not even allowed to be a legal witness. But God says you're important enough to be a part of this moment, this birth of the king. They were outsiders in the system. There was no real place for these shepherds. The community needed someone to do the job of shepherding, but those that actually did the job became unwanted in the community. With the arrival of these angels, these outsiders are welcomed in, not as an afterthought, but as the first guests of King Jesus. They get an invitation they will never forget from angels. And after calming the shepherd's fears, the angel declares what God is doing. Humanity has nothing to fear when God moves in grace. God tears down that barrier with the birth of Jesus. God steps into the lives of these shepherds and says, You're important to me, and you have a place in my kingdom. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his Bible translation, The Message. He writes, There were shepherders camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over the sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified, and the angel said, Do not be afraid. I am here to announce the great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you would look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. This invitation from the angels to the shepherds is meant for everybody worldwide. It's not an invitation to go to that first Christmas, but it's an invitation for everybody to be a part of the king kingdom of King Jesus. Jesus, in other words, has made room for you. From the most important to the least important person on this planet, there's a place for everyone. Christianity is not just for those who, in our culture, that would be called religious. It's not for those who seem perfect or well put together with their lives. The unwelcome are invited in. God makes room for shepherds around the manger, and there is room for all of us. 
Augustine of Hippo says these words, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. He's made room for you. Will you accept his invitation? At the same time, Jesus has made room for you. He's also asking you to make room for him. And in the story of the first Christmas, there is drama of many kinds. You know, you can think of Mary. She must decide if she can accept what God's going to do through her. Uh, Lots of people are going to reject her for what looks like sin. She's pregnant before being married. Joseph has a similar problem. And there's a lot of people who are going to make life difficult for Joseph, for both Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then, as we know in the Christmas story, there's the inn. I don't want to pick on the innkeeper. He likely had little choice. Everyone was traveling to get counted for the emperor's census. If Mary gives birth in the inn, it would make the inn unclean and no one could stay there. However, at the end of the day, there is no room. The NIV says no guest room, but I still think in my head, no room in the inn. Jesus asks you to make room for him. We can be a lot like the inn. There's no room. Some of you are thinking, really, Pastor? Why are you saying I'm like a building? Yeah, I'm saying you're like a building, and I'm like a building. The inn. The Bible uses plenty of building imagery to describe your relationship with God. Paul speaks to us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Bible describes God's people as a building for God to inhabit. It's not too much of a stretch to ask if you are an inn that is open to Jesus or not. Sometimes we're full, no room. And we do that very intentionally. Perhaps you don't want Jesus. Maybe belief in him seems too difficult. Maybe you had an encounter with a person who claimed to be a Christian, but they were a terrible representative of Jesus. I can understand why that would make you want to say, hey, there's no room in my life. But you know, many of us didn't want to make room for Jesus because it means we also have to clear out stuff in our lives that we want to hang on to. We know it shouldn't be there. We know that as long as it's there, there's no room for Jesus. And so we say, I'll wait. I'll hang on to this a little longer. We need to make room. You need to make room. Get rid of that stuff, that sin, that habit. Sometimes we unintentionally fail to make room in our in. We fill our lives with activities, with priorities, with desires, with dreams. And before we know it, we've left little room for Jesus to be king. Sometimes our attention is on other details to the point that we miss the big news. There's a story of a newspaper editor so busy with the paper he missed big news. In in December of 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. Thrilled, they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. We have actually flown 120 feet and we'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried the hurried to the editor of the local newspaper and showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, oh, how nice. The boys will be at home for Christmas. He totally missed the other news that they had flown in the air. 
don't be so busy that you miss the big news of Jesus. Christmas proclaims the good news of our Savior, but it asks us the question of have we left room for Jesus in our lives? It's not just a little corner in our lives, but all the room that he needs to be at work in us. You do not give the king of the universe the leftover moments of your week. You give him your best. There's a story I'd like to share with you. Perhaps you've heard it before. I've heard it on the radio. It floats around on the internet. And this particular version is by Dr. Stephen Covey. It's a lovely illustration of what kind of room we have in our lives. One day, this expert was speaking to a group of business students, and to drive home a point, he used an illustration. I'm sure those students will never forget it. As this man stood in front of the group of high-powered overachievers, he said, okay, time for a quiz, and he pulled out a one-gallon wide-mouthed mason jar and set it on the table in front of him. He then produced a dozen fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time in the jar. When the jar was filled to the top and no more rocks would fit inside, he asked, Is the jar full? Everyone in the class said, Yes. And then they said, Really? And he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. Then he dumped some gravel in and shook the jar, causing the pieces to work themselves down between the spaces between the big rocks. He then smiled and asked the group once more, Is the jar full? By this time, the class was on to him, and probably not, was what one of them answered. Good, he replied, and he reached under the table and brought out a bucket of sand. He started dumping in the sand, and it went into all the spaces left between the rocks and the gravel. Once more, he asked the question, is the jar full? No, the class shouted, and once again he said, good, and he grabbed a pitcher of water and began to pour it in until the jar was filled to the brim. Then he looked up at the class and asked, what is the point of this illustration? One eager overachiever raised his hand and said, The point is, no matter how full your schedule is, you, if you really try hard, you can always fit some more things into it. I have a suspicion that's how a lot of us try to live, right? But the speaker replied, No, that's not the point. The truth of this illustration it teaches us is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them all in. So I ask you again. Have you made space for Jesus in your life? He's got to go in first. You got to make room for him first, and then you can fill in around him the other stuff. Perhaps tonight, in a quiet moment, you need to ask yourself about how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, how you spend yourself. Do you start with the most important things like Jesus and family, or have you been stuck on the less important stuff? Jesus has made room for you in his kingdom. Can you say, yes, there's room in my inn for Jesus? I want to close with a verse of a little town of Bethlehem, and it captures well making room for Jesus. It goes like this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descent to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Jesus has come to you. Will you make room for him? Let's pray. O God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of true light. Grant that we, who have known the mystery of the light on earth, Jesus, 
that we may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven, where with you and the Holy Spirit he lives and reigns, one God in everlasting glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus and Merry Christmas.